Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Art and Labor. Um, I'm OK Fox, joined by, uh, you know, Lucia Love. She's back. They're back. I'm back. They're back. Baby. I'm back, baby. Um, <laughs> back in in uh, on the pod, back in the zone, back from L.A. Yeah. Uh, I learned some things. <laughs> I grew as a person. Uh, you had a, a solo show on a compound somewhere in LA. Uh huh. Mm. <laughs> and I drank a lot of juice. <laughs> Self realization on the West Coast. A tale as old as time. <laughs> and that on mic is Sam Lefebvre, um, returning guest um, here in New York City. Um, lovely to have you. Thank you. Um, and we're also joined by Laura O'Connell. O'Connor. O'Connor. Sorry yeah. for no, Irish okay. racism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry for I, no i mean seriously because we've done like pro ireland episodes so <laughs> only because of that no, though no, no, if there wasn't I'm such serious. a strong culture about liberation we'd no, be like no. well yeah i mean that's why the italians get made fun of nowadays so much right <laughs> what is just oh well you guys it's like you're safe it's whole... safe like white and then it's also like you don't have a struggle going right now or right. It's right? Like, yeah. It's Isn't like it post gladio, like, right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> now you guys just get noogies. Immediately devolving into bullshit. Um, we were walking around, uh, the Ridgewood area in 95 degree. <laughs> it's really hot out. And, um, it, New York city issued a warning not to use too much electricity because apparently our power grid is, ill-equipped to handle the fact that it's hot out so if you want to run your air conditioner they suggest you actually just do it a little bit just because we might take down the grid if we are too comfortable well it's you know there was literally um an explosion um at a plant in long island city that lit up the whole sky in a blue mushroom class last Wait, year when? right it was like not last year it was like maybe two or three years ago it, it was while we were doing the podcast i think yeah i remember yeah, yeah it was it. everyone was like ufos are real <laughs> <laughs> yeah we and, have massive blackouts and brownouts like every august now like like mm -hmm. clockwork well yeah right well i mean the we we on the west coast i mean we incur the what happens because of cities demand for electricity on the west coast is wildfires i mean like the biggest right. electricity provider in the northern california pg and e is responsible for something like 17 out of the last like 21 wildfires in our area yeah oh Jeez. my god and we're looking at potentially a five month fire season this year if not longer they mm -hmm. love to like blame it on individuals but yeah. it's always that like, oh mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean th this is really the year of like personal responsibility being used to like <laughs> yeah. deflect attention from the many institutions like failing to provide our most basic needs <laughs> yeah hey listen maybe if you did better friendscaping oh. you wouldn't be in this kind of mess. Uh, what a uh, bunch of your like periphery lower class friends are suffering and dying. Cut them out of your life. <laughs> like they're problematic because they're always complaining and their negativity gets on to you. Mm -hmm. So like right. if you just make sure that you're away from them and then like your gender reveal party is somewhere that is, um, you know, I don't know, maybe just like rent out a banquet hall and then you're not going to have a problem. <laughs> 
<laughs> rent out an island. Rent out a fucking. I see you've got some of that West Coast enlightenment. Like after <laughs> this. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I've been driving around in a car, just like listening to my self-help tapes. Going, going, going from one in and out to another in your Prius. Yeah, yeah, that's all I did. Actually, I lied about having a show. I just, I just, <laughs> I just ate burgers the whole time. I'm sorry, I'm peeking. <laughs> uh, one of my good friends, the artist um, Catbus Brawl, who's awesome, um, born and raised in Queens, moved to LA for an animation gig, and then came back a, a vegan who does yoga. Yeah, mm. it'll happen to anyone. Yeah. Or if you're from California, people just assume you're vegan and you're like, no, I'm not. Like, I never have been. Oh, man. Yeah, we're immediately devolving into regional, like, nationalisms and races. Like, it's yeah. just like, it's East Coast, too hot. West Coast. It's too hot out. It's too hot out. That's what happens. You get all agitated. We got to settle on a turf dispute. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we we've already been like talking off mic like a ton about like the, the different um, you know museum struggles like you know on the West Coast and East Coast and how things are shaking out and then a little bit about like tenant stuff and anti gentrification and so we're gonna bring that I, on mic. We're hoping to bring some of that energy on mic. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's so hard, you know. We we really had lightning and we didn't put the cap on the bottle, so. <laughs> Now we're going to just try to tiptoe into the conversation that we actually, we love to have. It's our favorite conversation. It's true. And it's, you know, what are what are the ins and outs of building a class consciousness amongst a group of practitioners that span the entirety of the class spectrum? And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm, it, Yeah, it turns out artist is not like an economically legible category. And so, you know, we might have to look at that for organizing purposes. Yeah. I, I said it on this show before, but these bitches need D Ben Davis bad. <laughs> they do. Wow. They do, though. Like, it's he's, like too, he's too good for them. <laughs> it's like if, if, if Ben Davis isn't in your art research group, I don't really want to hear about it. <laughs> wow. I'm like, I'm like, who I'm like, literally, who are you? Like the like we talked about this with like the groups who did the Strike MoMA document, which we largely agree with, and we think is is an, is an interesting document. But it's like just all these like random groups, literally out of nowhere. Like who are you? And wow. it's just some new project. That was so catty. I've been catty about this before. I literally I know, said the but same I just... thing, and I keep bringing it up because it's just like seriously. It. Well, it's like and I don't and I don't I care because it's like <laughs> they're all like. Like if you if you do find out who they are, it's it's always just like yeah they work for institutions they work they're they're academics they're fine they're you know they they care yeah. they they definitely care about this stuff and research everyone it really is well. like well intentioned but yeah. we have this we're suffering from an atomization where all of these like micro organizations spring up and they all have some sense of what would be beneficial to a larger community if we could implement some tactics but then it just seems like you know instead of us going like well what's some commonality here how do we start linking up our causes it's like well we're like 10 people and we like this idea and we want it to be like this and we're called this and we're going to put ourselves on a list with a bunch of groups 
and all the groups are like yeah 10 to 50 people and we all kind of roughly agree but also we're not gonna like become an agglomeration or whatever we're not gonna conglomerate well yeah it's 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 this weird, like, sort of coalition building, but then, like, the strike moment letter is like, it's not about coalitions, but it's like, it is. Everything's about coalitions. It is, what? Like, it, it. What? How do you deal little... with other people if you're not building a coalition? I think it's. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. And, and this is where I think, like, yeah, there's potential in these groups to kind of be, like, sort of connector pieces to these, like, more academic groups and then the more, like, labor focused groups. And I, I think that's like where they're most needed to like make those sort of connections. But we were talking about like, um, like, you know, oh, like when you say stuff like union and, and then it's like, is it, is it actually a union or is it just a mobilizing group or is it just an advocacy group and a spokes committee? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I, I think, like, artists are sort of, um, like, led away from, you know, analyzing their own kind of class position or, like, you know, the, the social relations that really, like, gov- you know, indicate their, you know, relationship to the means of production. I think they're led away from that kind of analysis, like, in very specific ways. And many of them, I think, are, like, um, juridical and have to do with like, um, and legal in the sense that they have to do with like employment law and this kind of thing. Like, um, you know, we were talking earlier about, we were talking about LLCs, but like even just the fact that like, you know, it's very commonplace for, you know, a working artist who doesn't employ anyone, right. To, you know, um, incorporate or to form an LLC or whatever. Um, and that, I think that sort of, leads people to sort of internalize like um, themselves as like a, a individual kind of economic unit and one that, you know, has interests that are like more like that of a corporation than that of a wage laborer, you know, because I am an LLC. People often say that even. Small business. Small yeah. business gallery, Lucio. The smallest of businesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's the smallest of businesses, but it's still a small business, right? Yeah. Um, and it's... well, but and you're you're forced into the position of considering yourself in this category just because there's no other way to maintain your freelance income. Right. You <laughs> you have to you are encouraged to consider all of these loopholes, or you have to like think about writing everything off, and like a huge part of the job just becomes focusing on how not to drown because you're getting these like a couple of cash infusions a year maybe if you do a couple of shows or something mm-hmm. and then right. you have to figure out how to manage that money for the rest of your year or your whatever yeah. whatever however long it takes and then and it's just like I don't know it feels terrifying because it's like I'm going to do this wrong I it's so complicated how can you how can you do? And then you just go back to then being like, well, now I'm an employee of someone else. I guess I don't have to think about that much, but I also don't get to grow or like save anything. Or <laughs> so there's like this yeah. twi- it's twisted. You just get pushed into a corner of like, well, you got to figure this out then. Yeah, you have to market yourself. You have to become a brand, and then you also have to be like business whatever thing. And 
Right. But then that becomes this thing of like people like ingrain themselves with the boss mentality rather than, yeah, I'm also like a worker. And what would it mean to like acknowledge that too? Yeah. Cause it's almost like if you don't like psych yourself up for it, just like, I don't know, I guess I'm experiencing this now. I don't know how it is for other people, but it feels like I have to believe in myself very strongly to keep going forward and I could see how easily that would slide into being like yeah rise and grind yeah like I can see it like I can hear the little voice in my head that's like did you wake up this morning or did you rise <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I mean okay like artists are like generally treated as like independent contractors and they're like relationship with a gallery or whatever, even though you're like creating value, you could argue like for the gallerist or someone who's like then turning around and like selling your work. Right. So, and, and, uh, and I, I really think, I think it's important to like call out how like, um, that has really kind of, I think modeled or, or piloted or anticipated the kind of like, um, you know, precarity of other sectors of the economy and, and, you know, gig work more largely, and um, which also has an endemic kind of um, hyper-individual kind of capitalist drive. Like, it's very common to talk to someone who's like a Lyft driver or whatever, who will, you know, describe the work they do as this, like, opportunity to like um you know uh to like make their own hours and yeah, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah and 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 politically i know that that is something that like works to like uber's advantage or whatever and they'll put out sort of propaganda to that effect but i think it's important to note that like some people like uh you know believe it like they they they, they have to in a way they kind of have to believe it right right um <laughs> yeah and, and i think like once you start drawing those connections it's sort of like I think that's something that can lead to like a more meaningful kind of class consciousness among artists and and a more meaningful kind of coalition building um, for organizing purposes. Yeah, like asking yourself the thing, like what do what have you like built your belief system around, and like what do you feel like you've been forced to believe, and then what what is underneath that? Like what's the what's the fear that the that your belief is assuaging. Right. It's interesting that like artists are like all down for like talking about like privilege or talking about like, you know, land acknowledgement, which is like, yeah, that that makes sense. But like when you talk, when you like, when you bring up like class position to artists, they get so freaked out. They get so freaked out. It happens. I've watched it happen to Ben Davis so many times. Ben Davis super fan will watch his talks and he like every every single time people get tripped up on the middle like the middle class like or like the petite bourgeoisie and like they're like i'm not bourgeoisie i'm not bourgeoisie and it's like okay 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 well i think that there's the connotation though in all of these leftist circles where if someone is like oh well this is a part of like the bourgeois sector of the you know, like this is literally like how society is m- maintained and built and structured, and you could be in that part. But it's terrifying because that's the part that everybody wants to kill. Yep. 
Yep, so yep, it's yep. like, no, I'm not a person <laughs> you want to kill, is right. what everyone is really saying. Yes, yes, yes. And yeah. that's totally valid. Yes, that's totally valid. And and that's the that is the position of being petite bourgeoisie is you have to pick a side and you have to be very clear, like, I am on this side, I'm on the side of the worker, I am, you know, like, you know, whatever. I think yeah. but I think people need yeah. to sort of acknowledge that position sometimes occurs and it doesn't always occur and it's very precarious and it can be taken away kind of at any time mm -hmm. um but that's like the thing about like upward class mobility or you know um, yeah, yeah yeah i mean but at the i mean that's totally real but it brings out this question for me like at the same time like aren't the people who are sort of willing to acknowledge that they're like petite bourgeoisie because they employ people but then also want to convince you that they're like not petite bourgeoisie with respect to their like relationship to anti-capitalist struggle um those people are are will inevitably let you down yeah well, <laughs> i think it's like i think it's complicated it just to say like what what do we want from people like mm -hmm. what actually are we trying to get from everybody like if, is it do we look at because I, I mean i don't know i'm just genuinely very curious like we get disappointed by movements. We get disappointed by politicians. We we get disappointed a, a lot all, all the, the time, time. by right. by the world. Like the right. like the state of our struggle is constant failure and just soul crushing. Like right. levels of <clears throat> uh, yeah, totally. I guess like I mean, and I should like clarify. Like I think being a class trader is not like a. Um, a sort of moral position or like uh, an amount of compassion that you're like able to muster. Mm -hmm. I think like being a class trader has to do with, um, you know, renouncing, uh, you know, real material interests. Well, and it also, it should include like strategy yeah, and being strategic about how you're using these things. And I've seen a lot of people become class traders, but like do it in a way that doesn't help people that they could help. And I just like, yeah, it's no, a weird it, way of renouncing that when they have an opportunity to like change a lot of people's lives that they're like around. No, it's similar to people who are like all about like doing a land acknowledgement, all about like, you know, um, intersectionality, but then uh, like their, their actual, it's all just like a PR campaign and like the whole yeah. structure is rotten to the core, you know like art form like you know it's like all these like all these places like um and and i think that can happen in like in sort of like yeah small business like anti-capitalist small business i think it can happen um and so i guess it's like i guess what we want so is if if somebody's going to say they're anti-capitalist um that yeah so we're trying to like kind of structure what we actually want from people who say that about themselves right yeah yeah mm -hmm, yeah i mm -hmm. think well it's just i think it's interesting because like i i guess to me i never thought of myself as like oh i'm gonna take an oath of poverty and i'm gonna work my ass off and i don't want anything like i never want it <laughs> like i hate the material world and i'm actually pure light and i live off of dreams That's just right. like they say i'm like That's right. no I'm dude pure. this I'm is the only pure leftist 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, oh my god, my, oh, dude, yeah, weigh my soul, <laughs> please. But that's what I'm talking about, is right. people who take that, like, purity thing, right. and you're just like, oh, shit, you learn all this stuff about them, and you're like, oh, you had this opportunity to do something totally different, but you gave all of that up. Right. I don't think we can ever be, like, individually anti-capitalist yeah yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. i don't think we can ever mm-hmm. like on an individual like one-to-one basis like have a, a personal practice and a personal way of being that right. is anti-capitalist i don't think right. that yeah right. really exactly. makes any sense no it doesn't right. make any sense and i just think like it it would just be better if people who are holding these positions were just like honest about them and like didn't have this weird like shame based like i don't know attempt to right. No, cool, because it's because it's terrifying, right? Yeah, it's like terrifying. Well, I don't know. I just, I guess like I'm just gonna be personal about my my contribution to this struggle session. Like, I'm. We've spent so much time on the podcast, like where I, you know, I was like miserably chipping away at like trying to like live yeah and now i'm like oh damn i can just like pay my rent and i can like sleep in this today and like (laughs) and i'm kind of like like i feel like i'm healing or something like i'm resting or i'm getting like a minute to look at my life and i'm like dude this is awesome everyone should have this this is so cool like yeah i mean it's not it's not astronomical or anything but i just like i paid my rent and i'm just like calm Mm -hmm. yeah for the first time i just feel like Oh, I did it. No, it's not it wasn't like you were. Like... It's not like you were more pure before you had like a like decent living. You no, know, no, no, it's not right. like you were. Cl- yeah, it's not like you were closer to the working class when you were in a worse off position. You are still part of the proletariat, like, and you it's always just, have been. Like, it's just like it's this complicated thing where I think, you know, you start to feel like, oh, I maybe I am comfortable and other people are not and and I do feel guilty about that like but in a way where I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna stop podcasting or something I'm not gonna be like well I can't talk about leftist stuff anymore because I paid my rent today like yeah it's like okay well a lot of that well this is but then you think about people who listen to mm. you know listen to chapo and they get all mad like of course i'm not i don't have any of that kind of chapo money i just have <laughs> you know but i i'm like i'm not opposed to it which is i think everyone could have that like what if there was a world where everyone could have that that would be cool i don't think like oh we need to knock that down or something but like what if you think about ways to make sure that people get actually taken care care of instead of just feeling like morally superior to someone who then like you could tear down somebody who's making a living you know or say like they're never doing enough kind of yeah but it's like what are they supposed to be doing it yeah well it it depends it depends right so if like i would say if like there was a leftist podcast that was like making millionaire money right what that was like maybe getting to the point where they're like owning property or like you know have have like there because there are there are like levels to middle class where it's like you own property now you um your money is making money like basically yeah, yeah, just, yeah. By doing yeah. That mm-hmm. thing, just by leaving it you, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. you have earning financial assets yeah if you're an employer if you have like right. 
earning financial assets. Like if you're, you know, um, you know, and, and, and just by virtue of being an employer, like exploiting workers in that way, like the relationship between you and your worker is antagonistic. It is adversarial. It is that kind of no matter like how nice you are or no matter what kind of benefits you might provide or if you feel like you pay this person like more than is standard like in your given field or whatever like that relationship the antagonism like is still there you're not going to be able to paper over it and I think like that's the important thing to remember and for me like kind of personally like you know I have a job right like I am like employed by someone and I certainly think about that antagonism that is inherent in my relationship with my boss like all the time but that doesn't mean that I'm prone to like wanna um you know pick fights with him at work or like really debate these kinds of things mm-hmm. because I know I believe that if I want to, you know, do something about that necessarily like antagonistic relationship, the only way for me to do that is, you know, collectively and like with my coworkers, right? right? And it's actually not going to like do anything for me if I have some kind of conversation with him where we like um reach some sort of superficial like mutual understanding or something like that doesn't do shit for me like (laughs) that makes that certainly like makes the boss feel better about like being on the exploitative end of this necessarily antagonistic relationship but it doesn't do like a thing for me right (laughs) and even if like i feel like i win that argument or something you know, I, I don't really get off on like the, the some kind of moral superiority or whatever that that's supposed to bring me. So I just don't have those arguments. Like the conflict is inherent. If I want to escalate the conflict from my end, I'm going to have to do that like with my coworkers. Yeah, I, I wanted to say quickly, if, if I think like we don't get into this enough on the podcast, but I think I have a lot more criticism of something like the majority report or something like rising or like Young Turks where they're like lefty, big media. Yeah, and then like, they're like, and they have ooh, employees. a union. Yeah, ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I criticize Red Scare for being transphobic or whatever, you know, like it's like, uh, and like, you know, being on this like reactionary yeah. side of uh, nationalism and, uh, yeah. you know, whatever. There's so many glaring yeah. issues with people that, are like self-proclaimed leftists that are making like huge brands and they don't take any responsibility for it. But then if I feel like, I don't know, I feel like if you're not in that position, but you're doing marginally better, like slightly having like another piece of ham on your sandwich, (laughs) then it's like, Jesus, man, I'm so sorry. I swear to God, I will split this piece of ham with you. Like I didn't look, dude, I don't look, I'm, I'm sorry about the world. Like, here you go. Yeah. 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 Like, I I, I guess like the, like the, like kind of like Ted Allen, like Noel Ignatiev, like kind of stuff's useful here too. And maybe to like talk about race a little bit in it. Cause, um, you know, like the, um, to the mind of like Noel Ignatiev, like, you know, observed in workplace struggles in like multiracial factories, like in Detroit, for example, that like the thing that tended to like prevent black and white workers from coming together in a labor struggle was of course like the psychological, you know, wages of whiteness, right? And so 
when I said kind of when I mentioned sort of renouncing earlier with respect to class, I, I think I was thinking about the kind of Noel Ignatiev like motto of, of I think his journal, um, which is something like uh, you know, treason to whiteness is, is loyalty to, to humanity, right? Um, <laughs> I think, I think it's pretty instructive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that rocks. That's poetic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I wanted to bring in like a little bit of Tenet stuff in this because I think it's like why a lot of like art people end up doing like anti-gentrification stuff and then Tenet organizing stuff because like your workplace like doesn't really make sense right. or it's like so small that it's like, oh, it should probably just be a cooperative, but right. it's not. And oh, hey. Yeah. I just got this push notification. <laughs> Workers at change.org are joining a movement. People <laughs> in the tech industry, they formed a union. Wow. Oh, fuck. Yeah, the, when the um the democratic lobbying arms are unionizing. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, yeah, this talking about labor and and tech workers this point we could I don't know if we oh, want to well, go we, we, can, can, we can I don't know if we want to go down that road. We but. go down the NGO <laughs> rabbit hole i'm down for all of them yeah. um, let's, let's open up all the lids but, I, I, but, but going let's talk about tenants for just a bit because yeah. it's like yeah there's this other there's this other class relation that a lot of us have as renters and it's another way to agitate and it's another way to to right. um, movement build in in right. for for like pr a lot of like precarious workers where it's it's really strange situations that don't make sense to unionize necessarily right. yeah totally totally because that's where the economy's going yeah, yeah, yeah. um mm -hmm. i don't know that's that's kind of why i think i naturally fell into doing tenant organizing work um was because yeah i was in all of these different like artist assisting or what i don't know like <laughs> totally yeah. yeah yeah i mean i i think like yeah i think um that's i think i was maybe similarly led to like joining a tenant union by like the kinds of workplaces i ended up in it maybe seemed like certain organizing avenues were kind of foreclosed or, or just like less likely for whatever reason um and i think that's yeah hot tip join a tenant union <laughs> yeah. 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 When you're not, you don't have to deal with like HR. You just have like a landlord. You know, <laughs> it's a little more obvious. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The... <laughs> Although landlords are gonna, if if like labor struggles are any indication, like we're going to be seeing, and maybe this is already happening in some way, but landlords are going to be trying to you know, create their own sort of version of, of HR, right? It's coming. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. The, so New York City has a, um, of fuck, I forgot what it's called. They have like, you know, like a... Although, a, is this just the rent board? God. Well, no, no, not the rent board. <laughs> they have a specific like program for landlords. Mm -hmm. So that there's literally a department within the city that is just for helping landlords. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Isn't right. it? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's like you want to, yeah. they're like, well, we will help people become a landlord. Like, you right. know, we'll give you grants to fix up your spare floor or whatever. Right. I, I think like the rent board as it exists in, in Oakland, I think it's different all over the place, but now, now I'm thinking about it. I think, I think it is like really comparable to HR <laughs> because like, because the whole, the whole rent board, you know, appeal process is like, um, semi, it's like quasi judicial, like it's supposed to resemble a trial setting. 
Um, and mm -hmm. but really, it's just like someone's kind of mediating this dispute and trying to lead you to some kind of settlement. And I think that it sort of resembling the trial setting is um, sort of intentional because we're sort of led to believe like that is the avenue for like justice, like the avenue for remedying like a inherently exploitative relationship is in a trial setting. So it's right. almost like HR, like the ramp board are supposed to give you this like representation of like a, a, a adjudicative scenario. <laughs> and they're always on the side of management, similar to yeah. how like <laughs> the, you know, the, the rent board of course this is going to be siding with the landlord and then like even the, the housing courts are on the sides of the landlord and, every, yeah. and you know, everybody fucking knows it and even in in new york city the housing court was ostensibly created to help tenants and then immediately just like similar to like the rent relief process that people are going through now it's like if they wanted to they could just make it very easy and give people like relief like you know they could do it a lot of ways to, to do it very easy, but they have this whole arduous process for people to do it just to give their landlord money. And Oh, sure. Like, I mean, we see, I feel like we've seen this over oh, yeah. and over again. Like the mask has come off over the past year because you can see the stock market getting bailed out for a trillion dollars. And then <laughs> it's like, wait, I don't know. <laughs> But should we have this unemployment? And then we have to... Hand-wringing over the 300. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. we have to kind of, like, casual people into, like, rejoining the workforce that just is, is so, like, manipulative and abusive. And then you have to go, like, well, I know, but then how are you going to pay your landlord? And it's all just neatly configured... <laughs> nonsense so you're like well okay this is a labyrinth and there's no point and you just bailed out those people in a second you just press a button and those yeah. people got bailed out like but we yeah. all see it yeah yeah so just like and now we're kind of all up against this uh precipice like well we're only becoming more aware we're only we're all only gaining like a broader base of understanding of just how deeply we're getting screwed over and there's only like so much redirecting that like corporate media can do to go like oh well it's just that people are lazy and it's like N uh, like w what what <laughs> like i don't know that so it just i don't know there's something there something right on the edge but then like we still have this inability to conceive of exactly how it is that we should like come together. And, you know, we've, we've gotten to this point now where it's like, we have the, the, this really wrought conversation about like our identities and our class positions and our sort of like, well, how do we define ourselves so that we can potentially come together and like, right. But it's become also just sort of like tainted and weaponized in this way of like, oh, well, like we might actually just start attacking each other and canceling each other instead of going like, well, no, we could use everybody's skills or we can use everybody's position or we can like look at someone who has a thing and go like, do you want to add this resource to a cause? I don't know. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, yeah, it's true. It, it's just like, yeah, it, it, for, for, so for going back to like artist run, like organizations, um, 
like um i think they need to kind of simplify what they want right i think like part of the thing with strike moma that's always made the most sense to me is working directly with the union the the unionized workers and to have a vision for a worker controlled moma which would then become a publicly controlled moma eventually that seems like the path to get there for me and that's like was very easy for me to say in a sentence yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> so it's like other people's like visions for these things are very grandiose and i don't really understand them frankly you know, I was just thinking about when you were mentioning like kind of the past to this worker controlled MoMA. It's like thinking about how we were discussing the new museum union and sort of the way that it was flushed out over the pandemic and just kind of, oh, all these organizers are scattered to the wind because we were able to furlough everybody. And it's like, you know, if there if we're having this movement for solidarity, why don't we have um, like a picket to remind everyone that there was a union here. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I think that happened at so many museums, like SF MoMA laid off all their on-call staff over a video call, hundreds of people Jesus. promised, Jesus promised people to be recalled. Those jobs are being posted. No recall, you right. know? So I, yeah, I think maybe like one of the straightforward key things for organizing in the arts to my mind is like if you're organizing in the arts, I feel like you have to organize across sectors because arts institutions are, you know, class vehicles for the ultra wealthy. Um, they're, you know, via endowments, they control, you know, significant financial assets as real estate players, you know, they're, they're directly involved in, um, you know, the built environment of the city and the sort of myriad kinds of forms of violence that, you know, emanate from from big real estate deals, right? So, like, I, I think organizing in the arts needs to be constantly making the connections between, um, like, the people who are um, sort of prominent at an art institution and, you know, the effects of their practices, you know, via that institution, like, on the surrounding community, right? Um, like especially around you know endowments which i'm really interested in like i think like it should be um you know it should be certainly more uh, widely known that like um you know many arts institutions are sort of indirect owners of say uh you know mobile home parks <laughs> via via uh you know private equity firms that that manage these places endowments and, um, you know, what kind of possibilities for, you know, organizing across sectors does, does that kind of connection, um, you know, raise? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think the the different make people making up the, like, Strike MoMA protests or in the, which is a lot of the same people who did the Warren Candor's protest before that, um, I think they are trying to agitate those positions. I think they are they're, um, trying to point that out and, and they, they, I think they are successful in pointing it out, but the problem is they, they really focus on just a couple of individuals often where right. it's like, like, like we went to one of the, one of the strike moment things and they had like a list of like board members and, and right. they talked about all the different ways that they were fucked up mm -hmm. and like the, 
the what I think was lacking was a critique of board structure itself right. and how mm-hmm. the whole yeah there should not be a board at all and 100%. it's not about just like removing the board and replacing it with good ph- philanthropists right. or whatever yeah yeah yeah, right. yeah 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 I mean or an artist board and or, a, and I know. I mean I think that a big part of the reason that people because I, I totally agree with you about about that critique of a lot of the pressure campaigns that that we've seen like 100 percent. But I, I'm, I guess, like, as someone who's like tried really hard to sort of pull back the curtain on like museum endowments and like various things I've written, um, I mean, it's 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 uh, designed to be like impenetrable, you know, mm-hmm. and it largely is, right? It's we know more about a board member who's involved with some publicly traded firm. We know more about his like own business via his firm than we do about the museum's business because like the endowments regulated differently than say his publicly traded firm is. And I think like for people organizing in art settings, like I think a pretty key demand that I think should just be like baseline, like everybody should be making it is one for, you know, um, full disclosure of endowment investments, period. Don't accept like any of the sort of explanations about, well, we don't even know and it's changing all the time and <laughs> we like we like outsource it, you know, like yeah, no, don't accept don't accept any of that stuff. So yeah, a, like full disclosure of endowment investments and mandatory um, you know, public uh, board meetings and disclosure mm. of board meeting minutes retroactively. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I, I think like... This the, is great, yeah. <laughs> I think that, and I think those are good demands because if we were sort of um, given like that kind of information all of the time, I think it would make clear, the, make even more clear to more people the need we're talking about for a comprehensive critique of the governance structure of these institutions. Oh You're gosh. right. I'm just imagining it's like... It's like C-SPAN, but it's MoMA. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, damn. We're going to get art C-SPAN. It's going to (laughs) rock. You're totally right. They're unaccountable governing agencies. Like, we talk about this on the pod sometimes, too, like, with regards to, like, um, how social media is run or, like, like all these, like, um, things that are, like, very um, important to our lives like like museums are important to our lives like and and in particular if you're in in the art sector like it's it's yeah it's become important is it they 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 are like it's it's huge it it, be, it is a political process of who gets in them who gets acquisitioned who you know all these things and why isn't there more public input for that it, especially in these muse- museums that are supposed to be public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does MoMA have SF MoMA have this thing where they had like symbolic board positions for artists? Oh yeah. Is that a Is thing? That a thing at MoMA? Um, I don't think at MoBA, but I've heard of that being a thing. Yeah, I always um, just thought that was so strange. Uh, I remember <laughs> one of the demands I think of the new museum um, union was to get one of the union members on the board yeah that was a push at yeah um right and on on this on this point of like uh maybe like like class traders and board minutes and all of this kind of thing like i imagine in in many institutions like the board minutes are, are rather sanitized or scrubbed or whatever but i still think it would be 
highly worthwhile for someone in some sort of, uh, you know, managerial uh, position with access to some of this information if they were to like let it slip. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People should totally be leaking uh, board minutes. Yeah, yeah, D- <laughs> yeah absolutely. DM Sam, get the signal number. <laughs> get the signal number and drop it. <laughs> Like, don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think I think this is a good demand for for unions because I think in in contract negotiations there's there's sort of you know formal protocols for requesting this kind of information. I think unions should be trying to exploit like that that sort of you know privilege in a negotiating context that the NLRB protects in order to to bring to light more of this information. So I gotta, I'm I'm trying to process all this in like a working model of how the larger economy around like um like commerce commerce around objects functions where it's like we have the you know primary and secondary markets and we have a lot of the time like you know these these markets f- function as engines to boost the like profile of artists that we now you know come to value in certain ways and it's like so intrinsically tied to capital like we call you know art sales the sort of like another stock market and just thinking about like from the beginning of your foray into uh, this arena it's like okay uh, you know i'm dealing with being like a you know a financial instrument instead of a individual or a worker like you know and then trying to gain like some kind of um like some kind of control over that by becoming a an llc it's like okay i'm not a financial instrument i'm an llc now so i have some sort of like I've dug my heels in so theoretically this is like your path as an artist but then you know you keep working in this realm where it's impossible basically to make a live unless you are like a genius of zines somehow you like (laughs) you make a living and you only make things that cost a dollar and like somehow you don't kill yourself doing it like then you might theoretically sell something to a person who has like problematic cash flow Mm -hmm. and then and then you know so here's like here's a you know whatever here's a gerhard richter painting of like the botter meinhof series you know and it's like oh here's this really deep interesting image that you you know is questioning history is questioning politics is like you know questioning the future and and then it goes from hand to hand and then some of these collectors are kind of you know a little bit iffy maybe they even participated in things that went antithetically to the Badermeinhof you know could be maybe they were conservative Germans post-war kind of awkward Mm. they could have been i don't know but and then they have this painting and then they're like you know what though we should like give it to the museum and then it's in a museum and then we're like okay but cool now we're gonna look at the board of the museum you know what i mean how like intricate everything is where we could open the lid of one thing at the end of the process but then it's there's so many moves before that 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 kind of boggles my mind sorry for taking so long to like hash that out 
No, you just sort of formulated that something something yeah. I was kind of like thinking about as well, like um, meaning like if the workers were to take control of the museum, wouldn't they need workers who um, are familiar with like the acquisition process and the all that bullshit that gets all tied up in exactly what you're talking about? And how would that work? And um, and can the acquisition process continue to work in the way it is? Because it's pretty twisted. Exactly. And the thing is, like, it always will because the acquisition process occurs in the sector of our society that is capable of doing this regardless of, like, international laws or like you know like <laughs> yeah. like one of my favorite stories is just like finding out that robert ryman paintings um got really popular to trade um like internationally in europe because it looked like a blank canvas and you could just like claim it as that instead of this thing that was like hundreds of thousands of dollars wow <laughs> you know what I mean? so it's like it's like yeah. people are playing this game here's the thing though i think we are talking about two different things because we are talking about especially public museums so museums that are literally registered as like you know yeah public museums the, the met mm-hmm. whatever that that's a that's a different category than the art world at large, which is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> but, it, but it's all connected. You it know is all I mean? connected. Because yeah. it's like, if you have a public museum, do you then say like, okay, well, we are speaking publicly and we have this democratic process and we've all decided we don't want to see anything that was bought or sold with like blood money. So then, and then it's like the whole museum is just like, uh, like we all crocheted something and we like showed it. Yeah, it's like, wait, what are we do? What are we yeah. doing? Like, do we just totally throw away every artifact that we've ever like come to like study in school? Like, like how that's problematic a, that's a, like, all this yeah, stuff is. A decolonial is. Cura- curation question that I think like could be addressed. I think it. I think keep the stuff, acknowledge it, and keep the stuff and talk about it. And then, like, in future acquisitions, um, just switch entirely to, like, um, the public that your museum serves. Well, and stop acknowledging the person who donated the piece, too. Oh, yeah. Like, maybe uh, that, like, public acknowledgement can just Remove end. the Sackler name. Yeah, yeah. Remo- remove all the names. Like, they can all go away. Yeah. Yeah, like, a, like, a, like all of these actions working in tandem, just, like, having the transparency, but also, like demoting the people who are yeah like yeah. don't give the people the notoriety yeah. anymore as like someone who deserves like, to be on a wall yeah like case by case basis if an indigenous group is like yeah this was stolen from us and we want it back and it's like cool we voted and we agree oh we've We're been taking care back. of it for you actually yeah. we, we, we dusted it and, you know yeah. here you go yeah i mean I, I think like you know publicly funded worker controlled museums like i i think like that's like a, a useful kind of like goal for like organizing purposes but i also would maybe just sort of i can't I can't really buy into that as like the the real horizon for like organizing in the arts because I think like the horizon <laughs> yeah. I think the horizons for I don't like I think in a post capitalist society like art will like per- perhaps like meaningfully cease to like meaningfully be a, a legible like 
uh, I concept, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we agree. Uh, trust. <laughs> trust. Yeah. Like, I'm not talking about horizons. You want to hear, hear the horizon. It's infinite. It's, I will ask for everything. <laughs> yeah. Horizons is, yeah, we would cease to have any conception of, of, um, of like art as distinct from our everyday life or like, you know, it would be just, yeah. Um, I think there's like a way to treat history respectfully and like, and in this beautiful, uh, you know, post-capitalist future, all all of, all of the people doing the like, um, black market secondary market shit would be purged maybe yeah. they'd be purged but and i i think like it's like this is like a, i know we're like i think this is a helpful thing to like keep in mind now though because like similarly to i think like some socialists talk about like a vulgar workerism i think there's mm. like a sort of like vulgar like elevation of of artists to the to the extent that it's sort of downplays or renders negligible like the enormous like creative capacity of 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 you know pretty much like all all kinds of humans yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's helpful to keep in mind for for organizing purposes like right now for sure yeah i've been um thinking a lot about this uh boris grace book that just really slowly been piecing through about um it's like the total art of stalinism that sort of was like, okay, what if we did try to have a complete overhaul of the way that we experience culture and the like way we view values and like how do we centralize all of this um, like spiritual energy and like focus it on the party? Just like the ideas that people had. I mean, it's, it's wild. It's like, it's, it's, it's so extreme. And it was in like every part, like architecture, like every kind of aspect of life was thought about yeah. in this way where it's like, okay, but how do we make this about the central thing? Right. You know, like the Soviet art show at the MoMA, actually, that, that was good. Or, and there was one at the Met. There was like a photo- mon- montage, like photography one that I remember was really good, kind of about that stuff. But yeah, and then we were talking off mic about that new art and labor book. Who who wrote it again? Dave Beach. Dave Beach. Yeah, and and this and we've debated this on on the podcast before the like freedom from work or the freedom to work sort of like yeah um, issue when it comes to artists is um yeah it's it it it's gonna be it's gonna depend on a whole lot of things for yeah um and it depends on where we're talking in the timeline if we're talking that horizon or if we're talking short term. Yeah. And so it's like sort of this like endlessly contested issue of allowing like the, you know, do you allow the artist to be like this figure that um, has leeway to create like the chaos that brings something new that you're like, oh, well, you know, there's all these like systematized producers in our society, but then there's the artist and well, you don't know what you're going to get. Like, but that's great because look at all of these inventors and look at all these, like we kind of worship that, like. Right. Yeah. 
I think I was like, well, I mean, last year, like during the, the uprising, I mean, I, I got, you know, like, like many people, like pretty obsessed with the kind of riot graffiti that, that were, we were seeing everywhere. Like I live in downtown Oakland. And so like, you know, I was, I was out and then I was around the next day and sort of like taking a closer look at, at all of this stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, I was really struck by the, the one, like the authorless quality of all of this work to like the gestural quality of it, the tendency for it to like name and like implicate and like describe like the buildings that, that, that these, you know, that these gestures were like landing on. I, I think like right graffiti is like a, a model for, for maybe a more, more interesting way to think about art making. <laughs> <laughs> Shots quietly fired. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's um it's true. I mean, it's I would say it's a more proletarian way of making art. Um, but it's not that we need to throw away other types of art making. Um, yeah. it's all gonna. Yeah. Then we're getting into the total art of Stalinism again. <laughs> like, you know what? All riots, all the time. <laughs> I have uh, some photos from Occupy Oakland from way back and of street graffiti. And there's just like layers and layers. And you just read it and there's like these conspiracy theories in there. Like, it's really cool. But it's like, whoa, it was great. I loved, I loved there's it. There's one that my friends keep taking pictures of that's like... Um, if you got the vaccine, you're fucked. And then someone else wrote, my bad, C CDC. Or like, <laughs> people nice. love that stuff. Um, oh my God, but we have, we, we have been going for a while and it is really hot. Um, uh, so we, I mean, I guess we should wrap up, but like we didn't even talk at all, Laura, about like <laughs> the cool oh show gosh. that you're in town oh, for. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm in town for Lynn Hirschman Leeson's first New York solo show at the New Museum. That's so cool. Go check it out. And if I can recommend, so the show's on the second floor, go to the second floor, see the whole thing, and then go to the first floor, past the store. Um, she has her electronic diaries and it kind of gives this oh um, incredible <laughs> context to the whole show and like the motivations, like psychological motivations behind her work. And um, this was actually my first time I got to see a couple of them I couldn't see before um, mm -hmm. that were at the shed um, a couple of years ago or whatever. Um, but it was too loud. Like the sound was weird there. Here you can really hear the sound. Um, yeah, it was just really cool you know obviously this is someone I work with closely but it's nice to like see her progression and kind of understand her more. well yeah like that's the thing it's like yeah she like is so underrepresented but was doing like just really um groundbreaking work like like cyborg feminist hero yeah like, like it like I was, I was totally geeking out. I'm like, Techno Lust is like one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hope they, I hope they do some sort of screening. I'm not sure what yeah. the program will be, but that would be really cool. But yeah, I mean, a lot of her work too. You look at it and you're like, oh, this is cool. But then you look at the date of it and you're like, what? Like how? You yeah, know, Techno Lust uh, 2004. I think. I, yeah, I think it was shot in like 2001, 2002. Yeah. So yeah, it makes sense. Um, it, yeah. it's like so. Cause like, and then yeah, my, my big obsession is like, why didn't she get like the big 
uh, TV deal that like David Lynch or something. <laughs> yeah, got, totally. you know? like, like <laughs> Or even like so many of her contemporaries, you yes. know, have been. She really, yeah, especially in the U.S., has not gotten that kind of acknowledgement. And I mean, even I mean, recently became like a permanent in the permanent collection at SFMOMA, but that took a long time, and you know, so it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it's wild. That's, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so that, that like makes it, I mean, bring it back to arts organizing. It's like, yeah, people have been really focused on like, yeah, equity within the art world. And I think it makes sense. Like, um, but it, it reminds me of the sort of like, um, uh, you know, proletariat feminism versus like traditional feminism where it's like, um, it is kind of catered towards more bourgeois people mm-hmm. um but it is still necessary and it's still necessary for um that whole cohort of of whether it's like whatever um you know uh like the art workers coalition advocating for black and puerto rican artists representation in like the the museums like they've been doing that you know since the 60s and 70s yeah. and like it still is like this yeah and, like, that is such a like easy thing to point out and like get people all whipped up about uh i would say that this definitely is like another facet of going back to like how this you know it's like looking at the primary and secondary markets before you even Mm. get to the institution it's like who is being given all of these opportunities but also like by this group of people who's like controlling the whole thing from start to finish yeah definitely Mm -hmm. definitely right and they might absorb a couple of like you know, I think we now have the first like black billionaire. I was just reading about that. There's one trans woman billionaire. Whoa. You know? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like they're, they're beep, doing beep, it. They're, they're diversifying. They're listening to the critique. They're, the the ruling class is t- taking accountability and, and they're making pride couches. Cut <laughs> <laughs> to the fucking meme. Pride couches. Okay, the one thing I have to say about that on this end of Pride Month is it's a fucking advertisement and every single person doing a tweet about it is helping the ad. That's all it is. <laughs> it's That's all you're doing. It's, I appreciate the memes, though. Yeah, I love memes. <laughs> memes are great. <laughs> Keep it separate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's... Yeah, I'm all for memes. It's, and, like, we are getting at this sort of, like... Like there are some really good ones that are critiquing IKEA too, and like I'm like cool. Like, uh. <laughs> just don't interact with their tweet. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, just don't give them the numbers. Don't give yeah. them the numbers that they can then go uh, report to like higher ups and like you know do the whole cycle over again. And like it's just a nightmare. <laughs> and it happens to the LGBT community all the time because like just constant pandering, pandering. But tomorrow's pandering. July. So, oh, yeah, it's you done. know, done. Mm. No more pride. Mm. We can go back to shame. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Yeah, it's just a tap. You just turn it. <laughs> we turned the pride tap on and rainbows came out. <laughs> oh, keg oh, is tapped. Oh, my God. I could go on a whole other tangent, but everyone's really hot. We got to turn the AC back on. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, do you have anything else coming up that you want to plug? I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, some of the stuff I was starting to mention about the pu- public art, right, graffiti, 
what was like kind of I wrote a I, I sort of edited and contributed some pieces to a, like a standalone print publication called Terrain that came out earlier this year and has contributions from a lot of like Bay Area artists, organizers, really centered on downtown Oakland, the neighborhood I live, and a lot of the activity around the uprising last year and in sort of the aftermath. Um, so yeah, and and I write much more about the riot graffiti and the um, you know more sort of sanctioned public art backlash and the kind of complicated relationship there. Wow! Yeah, it's that's really awesome. it's really beautiful too. It's like yeah. very well designed. Oh, I yeah. love one. The, one. Yeah, the designers are actually people I met through Tenny Union. In oh, fact, nice. I was like, oh, who's making all this propaganda for the Tenny Union? Like, maybe they want to like work on this publication about art. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I remember we did an episode about like the murals. Like there's like actual companies that um, like, um, yeah, they, they... Oh, I got to listen to that. I'm yeah, very yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the one here, there's one called Colossal Murals, and yeah. there's there's another one, too. God, I have friends who work for them. It's so miserable. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and they, yeah, because it, it, it adds property value to, like, you know, new developments. and. But then like they end up just doing these really detailed enamel renderings of, like, like, a doers. Or, like, a... Yeah. Or like, yeah, or like Axe body spray, but it's like an oil painting. Oh, no. But the really infamous one around here is called Brooklyn Girl, and it's just like um, a white girl with a Brooklyn shirt and like sunglasses. Oh, yeah. Oh, and she wow. has like some Native American like feather oh, yeah. headdress thing. Oh, wow. And like some, and she has like wow. some like war paint looking thing. I'm sorry, how? I know. How well, people, people constantly just spray it with acid green paint yeah <laughs> like get it cool. out of here cool. <laughs> but yeah you know slammed on one of those luxury developments you know sure. yeah this is how they do it <laughs> they really yeah. know art terrain uh, so we gotta we mm-hmm. gotta buy a copy of terrain um yeah and yeah um social media so. there's also free it's pr- i don't even know if there's any copies left but there's free there's free you can get a pdf or i'll send you one Here okay thanks yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's to anyone it's free anyone have it i'll put it in the show notes if you want totally let's put a link to the pdf in the show notes great idea thanks love that thank you for <laughs> linking to that <laughs> and and, and laura where can people find you um, I don't know. I'm on the internet. Yeah. I have a website. I haven't You're updated not- it in like three years. So, <laughs> do, do you do you have an Instagram or Twitter? I do have an Instagram. Like, people want to bug you and be like, "You're so cool." <laughs> um, it's Loco Lark is my Instagram. But yeah, and I run a little dark room in Oakland, a little collective, low light dark room. If you're in the Bay Area, well, email nice. us. Yeah, we're looking for members. Oh, yeah, cute. dark room photographers get at them yeah it's really sweet little space Lucia, you got anything coming up um yes Go. but it's too soon to say okay Ooh. Ooh. you're one of those people i'm on a roll i'm turning into the other guys <laughs> <laughs> no 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 you're gonna infiltrate and it's gonna be great oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's gonna be great no but you're one of those people who's like i have some really good news but i can't talk about I love it. Yeah, dude, getting older is so weird. 
<laughs> oh my god, the, the lights, lights just dimmed. dimmed. Uh, is there Somebody's a using too much power. There's probably going to be. I, I saw a Con Ed truck on the street. Yeah, I'm a couple so days, excited. Like, oh my gosh. We don't what get if these... we lose the file? We're not going to lose the file. Okay, We're going to stop right now. Okay. Thank you, everybody, dun, dun, dun. for another fantastic episode. Oh, the power is coming back on. Um, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash art and labor. Um, you could give us money. That'd be great. Um, uh, yeah, that's all I have to plug, I guess. I have nothing going on. <laughs> well, you've, you've been working. I have a job now, but it's a temporary contract, even though they could afford to hire me and they just aren't. And it's really annoying. Uh, but it's a job. <laughs> it's a paycheck. It's a paycheck. It's, um, and I don't have to go anywhere. It's all uh, from home. So I don't care. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, but with that, um, thanks everybody for tuning in and uh, let's have fun, right? Yeah. Thank you. Lots of fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. Let's have fun. Lots of fun.